0: This is the Scratching and Surviving podcast where we together will learn what it takes to achieve extraordinary results, and I am your host, Aries Webb-Williams. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. Today's episode will be broken up into two parts. I am interviewing a friend of mine, Benjamin J. Van. He is the founder and executive director of Impact House, a nonprofit organization with the mission to accelerate and invest in all shades of genius, providing a support ecosystem for underrepresented students, professionals, and founders giving them access to skills and opportunities within the 21st century economy. Benjamin is also the principal and CEO of Conscious Innovation, LLC, CI. It's a management consulting firm and holding company headquartered in Dallas, Texas. CI provides strategic business advisory, cross-sector development strategies, financial management, public affairs, and business development solutions to drive customer profitability and organizational effectiveness. Benjamin has founded and led several community-based initiatives throughout the Dallas area that focus on economic and workforce development, civic engagement, community development, and neighborhood revitalization. In 2015, he founded the Dallas County Civic Alliance, a citywide collective impact initiative focused on local voter turnout and education. He has served in so many areas as far as finance is concerned. He's worked for Fidelity Investments. He did fundraising for Fidelity Charitable. He's directed employee resource groups. He's done so much. He's been an avid startup mentor. He's a co-owner in a family business, his family business, Redline Carriers Trucking and Logistics, he's been executive board member he has just done so much you need to go and read up on him cuz his bio could just go on forever young millennial zennial <laughs> millennial slash and we see each other so much we run into each other at all kind of networking events doing a lot of the same things so i really wanted to Bring him on the show just to discuss some of the issues of the day, things that we're talking about, things that he's putting on. He is also putting on some events that are going on in the area called Hack the Culture, and he'll discuss that on the podcast, but it's also leading up to an event called Hack DFW that will take place in February. So please take a listen to Benjamin and I going on and on about (laughs) hacking the culture. All right, so... I have Benjamin here with me, and I'm super excited, and um, we're going to jump right in and just start telling people kind of about, you know, I've already expressed who you are through your bio and all that, but I want to, some things that are not in your bio are the things that are usually most interested, interesting to people, so right. tell us about, you know, how you grew up, like, I know you're from Wichita, Um, And that was hilarious because the story of when you (laughs) caught my phone the first time and I was like, who do I know from Wichita, Kansas? Um, So what was your what was your childhood like, like family structure type of setup? Just give us a little bit about that part of your life.
1: Definitely. And Aries, thank you for having me on. This is uh, exciting to just have this conversation with you, you know, just kicking back and chatting. So um, a little bit about me, Um, like you said, originally from Wichita, Kansas. Um, birthplace of Barry Sanders, the best running back to ever touch the football field. So, uh, for those who want to argue that uh, we could do that, but no, uh, Wichita, Kansas. So uh, I always like to start, you know, with my family history, um, legacy, and family. That's just huge, uh, big part of my life. And so I come from uh, in my family. You have two, you go two directions. You're either clergy, uh, meaning like a pastor or a minister. Or you're an entrepreneur, and those are kind of the two paths of my family. So grew up in a very um, traditional home in terms of you know um, a pastor and first lady. Uh, My dad was also an entrepreneur, you know, owned multiple businesses. A PK,
0: Um, Uh oh oh.
1: PK, yeah. (laughs) So grew up in the church, you know, born in the pew practically. Uh, Was a musician, so played five instruments, um, learned just by by ear, Um, you know. So grew up in a big family, family of four. Uh, with my brothers and sisters, I am uh, the middle child, I guess you can say. Uh, sometimes I feel like the oldest, sometimes. But, you know, <laughs> That's hey.
0: that middle child syndrome. Y'all are different.
1: <laughs> Is it? <laughs> Is it? So yeah, my uh, my grandmother, she was uh, one of the first women pastors in the PAW, the Pentecostal. Of the Wait world. a minute,
0: hold on! I was a part of the PAW okay P-A-W. yes in california right. you know i'm from the bay area so okay. yes we were p.a.w all yeah. oh my god okay we P-A-W. gonna have a good old right. chat okay
1: <laughs> so she was also an entrepreneur um she was a seamstress and her uh her slogan was so sewing souls for the kingdom
2: Ooh. I, I always like
1: to tell people her story i just found that out literally as an adult like you know wow. how you know your grandparents but you never just sit down and be like, Grandma, you know, what did you like to do growing up? You know, she wanted to go to New York and do fashion. But at that time, women, you know, they were only allowed to do certain jobs, secretary, nurse, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so for her, even being a pastor
2: That's the PAW
1: was a, was a big thing back in, back in that time, right? And so um, her grandfather um, actually chartered the the uh, uh, PAW um Uh, actually chapter in Topeka, Kansas. So, you know, it started on Azusa Street uh, in California, and then it spread across to the Midwest. So when they came to the Midwest, my grandfather, great-great-grandfather, was a part of that
0: um, charter to
1: actually bring that, that, the PAW, to the Midwest. So I always start with, like, you know, the lineage of which I come from. Um, You know, back in Wichita, you know, my, my uncle, which is my dad's twin brother, was one of the first Black fire chiefs, also owned the mortuary, so, you know, and usually uh, Black cities, you know, there's a few, um, you know, funeral homes or funeral directors that everybody goes to, right? Yes. <laughs> everybody knew our family because, you know, either like, hey, they was going to do somebody's funeral or, you know, to take care of the family in that, in that regard or, you know, my grandmother's church. A lot of other churches were birthed out of that church. So a lot of ministers kind of got their, you know, training and development and then, um, kind of their uh, inspiration for my grandmother's stuff so she was kind of a beacon um, in that that aspect.
0: That's awesome.
1: Um, and my dad, you know, you know, the the if you know, kind of the background of P A W and Pentecostals and how they kind of, uh, I guess, the new version of that would be Apostolic Faith, right? Mm-hmm. folk history. And so at that time, my dad was one of the first um, individuals in our in that area to call himself an apostle. Okay. And people would always be like, "Well, there's only twelve apostles. How can you be an apostle?" Right. 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 Iphone ministry and how um, people are called to be teachers, preachers, prophets, apostles, and I can't remember the fifth one. It'll come to me, but um, I say that to say, you know, I come from a group, uh, a family of pioneers, people who um, have been the first to do things or not afraid to walk, uh, you know, a, a, a you know, the, an alternate path. Right. And mm-hmm. so, coming from, you know, that, you know, going to college in Kansas, um, at Topeka. So I went to Washburn University, uh, majored in finance, uh, was an athlete as well. So played college football, played indoor football, arena football. Um, and then I coached at, a, um, uh, high school, um, as well before I moved to Texas. And so you have this person who carries this family, you know, lineage of being the first to do something or do something different or go against the grain and then you mm-hmm. put them in a big city like Dallas where there's tons of opportunity. It's just like, I get here and people are like, oh, I hate Dallas. There's nothing to do. And I'm just like, <laughs> y'all not see all this opportunity? Right, right. You know? <laughs> so it was like, you know, it's was like a kid in a candy shop uh, for me. And then a part of that journey is kind of focusing all that energy and that uh, ambition and that, um, that opportunity to say, okay, where is my focus and where do I fit in this big puzzle? Um, and so that's kind of led me to, um, you know, where I am today. So, yeah, family background was very, uh, you know, traditional, you know, sports that was kind of my outlet Um, and there's some struggles with that too it wasn't always perfect you know growing up in a a household you know things that you know people weren't perfect right domestic violence and um, you know things like that that you know you grow up with and you kind of try to feel like well you know how do I process this or how do I want to structure my family dynamics yes uh, as well and so you know definitely wasn't perfect but uh, my parents actually just had their 32nd anniversary last
0: week. I saw their pictures on um, Instagram. I was just yeah. like, they are so adorable. <laughs> Everybody
1: came to ask me what that be. I was like. <laughs>
0: the, b- the before and after, you know, pictures. is. I love seeing right. that when you see people who are married for a long time and then they show the old, you know, pictures and then right. them today. I'm like, look at them. They were just super cute.
1: Right. Still looking young. That's right, from, you know.
0: Smiling. So right.
1: But everybody thought, they was like, man, I thought you went and got got married. I was like, no, not yet. I was like, y'all be the first to know if I did. <laughs> that if I is did. hilarious. They're like, what you
0: so, doing? Wait a yeah, minute. Yeah. Hold on now.
1: Definitely got a good example and the inspiration of, you know, not only on the marriage and love side, but as entrepreneurs, you know, my dad, he, literally, I say, my experience in an entrepreneur started from birth, you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, in grade school, they used to call me the professor. <laughs> I would, uh, <laughs> I would take my dad's briefcase uh instead of a back. You were
0: that kid. Okay, you were so, that like, kid.
1: I, I, <laughs> that, I always wanted to dress up. Like, I always had a suit on. Like, I always had a watch. Oh on, my like, gosh. Like, I wasn't a nerd. Like, I had swag. It was cool, you know? okay, I was cool. Okay, okay. As well. So, but I was very, like, business. You know, I've always been very just business like, right? All about business. And so, you know, I used to follow my dad around. Um, you know, watch how he manages employees, you know, just watch how he grew. This, 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 watch how he formed um, um, people's lives, right, through, through entrepreneurship. And that's why I feel like it's such a strong tool that really in the black community is the key to um, building financial independence. Yeah. Um, It's, it's through entrepreneurship.
0: I agree. Um, so you feel like definitely your dad was your inspiration kind of oh yeah, to your... Helpful. Oh, yeah is that yeah, what made you um enter into finance when you were in school like going to finance what what made it finance out of all the
1: actually i, I had yeah i had two that was actually my mom's dream not mine okay uh, but i'm thankful for it uh it wasn't mine it was it was it was my mother's dream because you know uh being a being a first graduate a college graduate in my family um you know people just assume oh if you want to make money go into business go into finance right, right? So originally, I wanted—I used to draw when I was little, uh, when I was younger. Um, I like drawing cityscapes, landscapes. I like to build cities um, through art, and I wanted to be an architect. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, however, you know, coming from a background where you know finances are not always you know easy accessible, especially for college, I knew that I had to get a scholarship. You know, either football, basketball, or track. You know, one of those was going to pay for my education. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had an opportunity, you know coming from public school all the way up to um, high school and then going to high school at a private school, I had two different um, really vantage points of the world from, you know, being at a predominantly Black and Hispanic um, school in in the city to going to this whole completely other environment, right, Um, of, you know, just, you know, the well-off, you would say, Mm -hmm. individuals, and it was just a different environment and trying to, like, live almost like a double life really yeah <laughs> you know, with,
0: navigating with, that with, whole <laughs> it's totally different from you know your normal day to day
1: and my dad used to always tell me like you won't appreciate it now but when you when you get older you appreciate this experience you know because my friends you know they had all the fun in college you know I mean in high school you know they were doing this and doing that and you know I was stuck at this you know little school with, you know with our I had mm-hmm. a graduating class of like 37 or something like that
0: at your high school or your college high school Uh, uh, oh okay okay I was about to say yeah and that's still not a lot of people at all not at all I thought mine was small when we had um especially coming to Texas because they're so big everything is big here you know and my graduating class I think was 340 something I think Which I was like, okay, we had a good class. And then I get here and there's like 1,600 kids graduating from, what in the world? I was like, that is, I couldn't even imagine if my school was that big. Like you can imagine trying to find your way like in a big place like that. Um, And with all you would have to, the things that they're doing to like be, feel like the cool kids and all that kind of stuff. I'm glad I didn't have to navigate that much. (laughs) So I'm I'm sure that in a smaller school it's a little different.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, it was one of the. It actually is. They were just rated the number one private school in Kansas. Nice. Um, I think this year, and I went to actually went back to speak for um, Labor Day weekend. So that was a good full circle moment. Nice. Because culturally, it was just it was very difficult. Like some of my best friends were my coaches and teachers. to this day, because it was just very difficult to be in that an environment where the perception of black people or, Af- or African-Americans uh, were literally what they saw on television mm-hmm. or, you know, what the world portrayed them to be. And, you know, that was that was difficult. Trying to, but I learned a lot, you know, about just life. And definitely I see now the trajectory that God has me on definitely has to do with um, a lot of those skills um, that I learned. Um, being in that environment. And so, so uh, yeah, I wanted to be an architect, but um, I had individuals basically talk me out of it because they were like, well, you won't be able to take the classes during football because you have to have a lot of uh, studio hours and things like that. And so I ended up not doing um, architecture. And then I wanted to do business law, but I was like, nah, I love to speak, but I hate to read and write. And like, uh, <laughs> so I was like... I was like, so I'll, do, I'll just do business, uh, did finance, and uh, that kind of got me to Texas after I, I graduated um, and uh, did that whole thing. And so my first job here, my parents actually moved to Texas in, I believe, 2009, 2008, 2009. Okay. So they got here, you know, a head start. So they kind of start building the foundation. Um, and that was that was a transition for me when I moved here as well. Was, you know, when you uproot this kind of family, sense of family values and and legacy and put it in a whole different place, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, where do you find that sense of uh, connection, right? And and that connection to the family. Uh, But that dynamic changes when you're in a whole different environment in Texas. It's just a different culture.
0: Were Um, your grandparents and stuff still there? Or so did your mom and dad, were they the only ones that moved or your brothers or? You know, was it just the immediate family that moved? Yeah, it was
1: just the immediate family. Okay. So brothers, sisters, um and uh, mom and dad.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is different. I ones. mean, yeah. coming from, you know, with me, I'm from California. I moved here. I was 20. I had just turned 27. So I had never lived anywhere wow. but the Bay Area. So my travel experience was like, from L.A. to the Bay, back to San Diego, everywhere within California. <laughs> I think I had been to Houston once and for somebody's family reunion. And then mm-hmm. had I been anywhere else? I felt like oh, I went to Tennessee once for a family thing when I was like super young. So I barely remembered it. So I wasn't really like traveling or anything. Right. So when I moved here, I just I thought everything was like west texas i'm like i'm moving to the country like and i didn't really care because i was kind of in a period of transition so i wanted something different and um i was working for at&t so they were Mm -hmm. like hey come down here we're opening up a tech support center we need some people to help with this this and that so i'm like cool but i was thinking like they're riding horses down here like it's super (laughs) i didn't know and then i I got here and i'm like oh it's actually like regular
1: I didn't know what to expect. I had a lot of roommates in college that were from Texas. And mm-hmm. so I kind of I kind of absorbed the culture. Uh-huh. And so it was kind of an easy transition uh, when I moved here. Like people thought I was, to this day, people think I'm born and raised in Dallas. That is I so just, funny. Yeah. Because
0: I think when we met, so you were, are you still involved with like the Urban League? Yeah, so I'm, still, I'm
1: a member, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so that's, I think, where we kind of came across each other's path because I was going to some of the meetings and I got volunteered by Herbert, uh, the current president um, uh-huh. of the Dallas, what is it, Dallas-Fort Worth, all them acronyms, Dallas-Fort Worth Urban League <laughs> Young Professionals. <laughs> yes. Um. To He wanted me to serve on the Social and Cultural Committee. And I didn't want to commit to having to come to meetings. So I said, look, I'll advise. Like, I will. That's a lot. Yeah, I was like, I'll unofficially. Because first of all, I live in McKinney. So I'm not driving all the way to South Dallas. And I have children. So no. But I would, yeah. you know, unofficially, you know, commit to that. And that's how I met um, Erica. And so I saw um, on your team for Impact that uh, yeah. Erica and some other folks were there. So um but yeah that's kind of how we kind of came across each other's path with the urban league um so I wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit as far as things that you got involved in so when you came here did you just start yeah. joining some groups or seeking like something social or how did you you know get yeah. involved here
1: so what was actually pretty to this day I, I don't I don't know how I did this, but for my first year that I moved here, um, I literally sat in my apartment for a full year. Um, I went to work and I came home and that's all I did. Mm -hmm. And part of that reason was because, you know, being an athlete, like your life is regiment, you know, it's very like, okay, you have weights in the morning, you have class, you have study hall, you have weights or something, you got film everything is laid out for you literally um you know and i've been playing football since the first grade Mm. um so my whole life has been okay we in football season now okay boom that's over we in track season now okay boom that's over (laughs) we in basketball season now boom that's over oh we doing summer m-a-y-b-a-u that sounds
0: like me and my kids that's right now i'm doing this with them i'm like Lord, basketball (laughs) practice starts next week we just finished soccer we've just finished baseball like so yes <laughs> right
1: so that was my life like forever you know and then squeeze church in there because you know that was man. you gotta be there every life. day that's every day that's, <laughs> right.
0: it don't that matter if you that. got homework
1: Monday through Sunday right do I, your
0: homework I, at right. church in the um, little cafeteria that's all
1: you know <laughs> so that that was my life and then what I realized you know after I graduated you know and really started to get into adulthood I was like I really don't know what I love to do you know and um I just started going back into my, you know, family history and just like things that were consistent, um, and started getting into, uh, entrepreneurship and, um, really community development, um, because my family was so strong in that, like, not only were they involved in church, but they were also community pillars as well. Um, you know, my uncle right now, they just opened up, um, a community facility, um, um, next door to where my grandmother's church was for, um, uh, uh, youth and you know like youth empowerment and community mm-hmm. events they have a lot of political events there as well just focused on like you know anti-violence and civic engagement right so that's a big part of my upbringing as well as being involved in the community and I like to say I found myself in service um, I I started um, um, you know I started looking at different groups and I was like well what what are what are entrepreneurs doing uh, best? a non-traditional and allowing them to really get highlight on their business and what they're doing so i i created this um group called mogul empowerment group um and it was focused on both improving business and community and um, i hosted a couple events you know we did a boats and business event where we had entrepreneurs come out and and do like a meet and greet it was like on a boat setting so in non-traditional settings mm-hmm. then like a stuffy networking event yeah uh, uh, it was very, like, uh, eclectic, you know, type thing. That's definitely part of my personality. Mm-hmm. And um, and another thing we did was, uh, I think it was during the month of, I want to say either March or May, but we did a domestic, bashing um, domestic violence. Um, i trying to think of what the name of the event was called. But we did this um, huge event where we had, um, we raised money for um, one of the uh, domestic violence awareness um, nonprofits. Uh, and... You know, one of the guys from this other group had caught wind of my events and said, hey, you know, I saw some of your events and wanted to host them on the calendar. Um, and that led to me finding a business partner uh, with joining an organization called Dallas Black Professional Social Network. Okay. And, you know, originally I got in and was just kind of like, you know, just sat back and watched, kind of analyzed the landscape of Dallas. Um, and then the more I started to speak up, the more I got, like you said, voluntold.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> That's what <laughs> happens. <laughs> And it was an interesting dynamic because I've always been put in leadership positions at a young age where I didn't think I was ready for, Mm -hmm. but I always had to kind of like rise to the occasion, right? And so, well, first of all, you're Aries
0: male, you're you're Aries male, so that is like natural, you know. You know, we Aries, (laughs) we just that's just something that we're gonna do anyways because leaders,
1: right? Yeah, we have a hard
0: time keeping our mouths shut, so.
1: Even if we're quiet, people just like, you look like you can leave some here. Take Mm -hmm. this clipboard. Like, (laughs) like, what? So, so eventually, um, you know, uh, the group uh, primarily had, like, a lot of social activities. You know, they're very social network driven. Um, And what we noticed was that when it comes to Dallas-Fort Worth in terms of, like, transplants or people that moved here, we noticed that within the first like one to three years, they'll come here, they'll move here, they'll get a good job. You know, they might find um, uh, cheap real estate or affordable um, real estate, um, but the sense of community and culture was not like strong here. Everybody mm-hmm. was spread out. Um, so they would end up moving to more areas where there is concentrated culture, for example, like Philadelphia, Chicago, Atlanta, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. DC, um, some of these places where you go there, you know where to find it, right? And um, so I added, you know, from a business background um, and this community background, I added a business and a community focus um, to the organization that kind of gave us three pillars. So we evolved from the social to the community and the business. Right. And um, the business aspect was more of my passion in terms of um, how are we preparing people for the workforce and getting them access to jobs? But then also, how are you getting exposure for new entrepreneurs um, to be able to, you know, promote the business and circulate, you know, our own dollars within our community. And so doing that gave me a lot of I did that for about three and a half years, um, which a lot of people don't know. Um, when they see Impact House, they think, oh, like, oh, this new guy's doing this mm-hmm. new thing. And it's like, no, oh, I've been doing this for like eight years. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like y'all just weren't around, you know what I mean? And so, like, there was a lot of behind the scenes scolding and training and molding. And that's how it usually up. works.
0: I mean, you gotta yeah. to get that foundation <laughs> set up. To once we see it, it was probably so much work, you know, done behind oh. the scenes to even see, get this visual yeah. <laughs> in our face.
1: Yeah, right. That's so it's like this whole, you know, the glacier where they show the uh yeah what, what the, success. Uh, what success looks yeah. like? <laughs> they show the top, and then you see the bottom under the water yes. it's like this deep. It's like that's what y'all didn't see was all this struggle, and pain, and messing up. Exactly. And, you know what I mean? uh, uh, and luckily, it wasn't public, right? It, because it was behind the scenes mm-hmm. um, that allowed me to develop my leaderships, my leadership skills, and you know, people are, are asking, like, man, like, how do you, like, you have so much insight and like wisdom on these different things? It's like, well. It comes from messing up. Failure, it
0: from,
1: <laughs> right? It comes from a lot of failure. It comes from uh, being humble enough to listen to people um, and listen when you're wrong, um,
0: so that you can make those corrections to yeah. get better. Yeah, right. So, and I, and so since we're kind of talking, we're already kind of getting into impact. Like, go yeah. back a little bit and explain what impact is and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. So, impact is a nonprofit organization um, that we really f- focus on a pipeline approach. Um, to supporting underrepresented students, um, professionals, and founders um, in entrepreneurship, technology, and social innovation. And so, our uh, really the premise is, how do we build a more inclusive uh, economy? Dallas mm-hmm. is still a young city. Um, DFW is a young region as well, and we're still trying to figure out how do we, how, who who do we want to be? Right? Who do we want to be in 20 years? Uh, who do we want to be in 100 years? And who's mm-hmm. going to be the beneficiaries? Um, and the deciders of who we are and who gets access to the opportunities um, in deciding those things. And so right now, I mean, you can even see with the whole recent Amazon situation uh, where they were looking to um, make Dallas one of their homes or make Mm -hmm. DFW one of their homes, uh, it really uncovered some hidden truths uh, that we didn't want to face as a region was that we just weren't prepared. Mm -hmm. You know, not only from just a talent perspective, but like from a housing standpoint, like we just... Our city just developed a, comp- a comprehensive housing, housing policy. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just creating new policies for things like uh, bike share and, you know, things like that, that mm-hmm. we just, we were a young city. So we just didn't have to face some of these things that like San Francisco is already prepared for more exactly. progressive type cities. Um, and so our organization really is addressing the opportunity gap. Um, a for students in, in a, STEM, technology, and social innovation. So we kind of merge this social impact lens on technology mm-hmm. um, for adults who are looking for um, opportunities to upskill or reskill with mm-hmm. a lot of these jobs becoming obsolete. Um, and people are really saying, how can I still stay employed, you know, when the, my jobs are now becoming, um, you know, non-existent anymore. Because that's and the
0: part that I think up- a lot of people miss out on is, like, you can't just keep doing the same. This is not... Baby boomers, I know our parents and stuff like they can stay in that job for 35 years, doing the same exact job for 35 years and be good, retire, move on, you know, live a good life. But us, you know, we have to continuously learn more. We need to, you know, keep on learning so that we can do these other jobs because it's changing so much. We have the benefit and the burden. With technology, you know, it's like for yeah. me, like I said, I'm a zennial I'm on the edge of both. So I come from, you know, my parents were, we got people who can work at the phone company for 35 years, you know, whatever. But with me, I'm right. like, okay, the internet came, the, you know, all these new things. And so you're uh-huh. like, wait a minute, I can't keep, we were on dial up, we were the first ones on dial-up. Exactly. I'm like, AOL.com, you know. <laughs> So (laughs) we have to continue to do that. If you want to progress, then you do have to continue to learn. So that's really good that you guys are doing that uh, reskilling.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely. And you'll see some initiatives that come out um, as a member of uh, an organization called the Global Shapers. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a Global Shapers Fellow, which is an initiative of the World Economic Forum. And one of their largest focuses right now is the future of work. Um, and how are we going to upskill and reskill people mm-hmm. to prepare for what they call new collar jobs?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: these are jobs that um, uh, are are no longer, where blue collar jobs are, are no longer um, existing. And then also white collar jobs that are being automated by AI and kind yeah. of like these robo advisors. And so they created this term called new collar, or basically are, are new age jobs that require new skills. And you know, one thing that I've been reading um, reading up on is. You know, Even though the, the big focus in the, in the hot word, the sexy word right now is technology, um, there's still a huge need to center people in terms of um, managing human capital. So managers, mm-hmm. uh, people who are great communicators, um, people who have um, just great people skills that will still be needed. Um, actually, that uh, industries have a shortage of right now.
0: Did you see that? A- did you see that Amazon, they were saying that half of those jobs that they're bringing are going to be management jobs, like a lot, yeah. <laughs> half of them will not be technology jobs, because um, and specifically um, like I, Amazon Web Services and stuff like that. Because
1: but, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that, that's and that's the truth. And so we have to have this balance. Right. Um, and that's kind of a and we'll get into some of the things that, you know, that I've experienced in other places. That I'm, I'm definitely going to integrate here in Dallas when it comes to um, a more people-centric approach mm-hmm. to um, economic development, economic mobility, um, you know, just entrepreneurship in general. Um, but, yeah, so the thing about that organization with Dipson, Dallas Black Professional Social Network, is it really prepared me and gave me the the A, the people skills. Because, again, I was 25, and the average age in that group was 40 like, in their early 40s, you know, Mm -hmm. and up, and so I had those, like, who was this kid, you know what I mean, like, who was this 25-year-old kid trying to tell me about what I should do with my life, right? right, and so I had to learn those soft skills and how to manage people, I mean, we had, we had nine, I had nine direct reports and about 27 people total in our organization that were volunteers, wow, so, So you had to learn real quick. (laughs) Yeah, I had to learn. I was very matter-of-fact, and I learned, you know, soft skills and how to um, feel for resistance. And, you know, I'm definitely a leadership junkie, so I read a lot of leadership books Mm -hmm. on, you know, winning people and and really just trying to um, allow people to be the best version of themselves and have a shared vision, you know, Mm -hmm. in that. And I think if you approach that from a leadership standpoint, uh, it's a win-win for everyone. You know, it's all and about, you know, not about
0: just, yeah. I was going to say, you know, that we culturally, right. I feel like, you know, black people specifically are not really taught networking. We are taught kind of you keep your circle small. Right. You keep people out of your business, you know. <laughs> you don't put the family business out there, you know, stuff like that. But I think we're... we we're at a disservice there because we are not really building the relationships that we need to, mm-hmm. to get that. Um, I don't know if you want to call it social capital, but like, really, like those yeah. relationships are how these deals are done. That is why a lot of these people are going golfing. They're cutting all the deals out there on the golf course. <laughs> they are, you know, going to all kind of different things that people are doing that are outside of the office to build these relationships because people are going to do business with people they like and they feel like they know. And right. so, um,
1: and it's counterculture to, mm-hmm. to do that. Right. Like, you know, our culture says no new friends.
0: Exactly. You
1: know? Well, what, what is no new friends getting us? Right. Nothing. Because opportunities, I tell people all the time, opportunities come through the people.
0: Mm-hmm. They don't
1: come from, you know, uh, off a tree that's been grown. They don't come out of nowhere, out of the sky. No opportunities come through people. People make things happen. You know, often we forget these big companies behind the names, you know, of these huge companies are people. Exactly. Those are people making these decisions. Right. And if we have this philosophy of no new friends and no new people in our circle, then that's just saying you're, you're anti-growth. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of what drew us to each other, even having this conversation right now, because we both were kind of moving and shaking on, in, on um not Instagram, on uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn, right? Yeah. And I have been seeing you at different events, and then I will be doing stuff at different events. And I'm like, I need to reach out to him because I feel like we're both kind of in the same, we're doing the same thing, um, uh, but somehow we need to, you know, kind of, connect so that we could do it you know together yeah you got more than one person doing the same stuff you know you got power there so i'm like you know one of my things is really you know like you mentioned the stem stuff and everything but you know mine is more so you know black people in technology as well as women um, being included right. and things like that. And I know we talked about, you know, diversity and inclusion, I feel like it's like the buzzword right now. I like how you yeah. always talk about inclusion and diversity right. kind of yeah. because it does matter. You know, that's really where the effort on the other part of whoever the party is to, mm-hmm. to make the step. Cause you can check a box and say, Oh yeah, we got diversity, you know, or whatever. Right. And just, you know, find any random right. person to fill that, that- spot. But are you really including? Think. You know, are, is it really inclusive, right?
1: right? Right. Definitely no. That's that's one of my things that I, I'd like to switch around. That whole diversity inclusion to inclusion and diversity, right? Because if you're not willing to give up any power, and seat, then you're really not being intentional about diversity. Uh, in quotation marks, yeah. Um, and, and I think that's that's what we're that's what we're at. We're moving from diversity to inclusion and ownership, right? Yeah. Um, when I had an opportunity um, and just to touch on what you said, something about networking. Um, I think that's, I think our culture we're getting, we're getting better at that, you know, like things like Blavity, um, things that are starting that, Mm -hmm. that are building community are starting to get better and better. And I think to add on top of that with, you know, not only just networking, but like sponsorship and mentorship Yeah. um, and knowing the difference between a mentor and a sponsor, like we need, We need more sponsors. We need more people who can open doors um, for us because they believe in um, equity um, and inclusion. And the only way to
0: do that is build relationships with those people, right? You have to get your foot in the door to even start a conversation. So you got to go to these events that you may not necessarily feel comfortable in. I did a podcast. The last one was about networking and my tips for like connecting and networking because I feel like what happens is we wait until we need a job. Right. Then we're like right. trying to, we to reach. Yeah. And it's <laughs> like, who are you going to call? You don't even know anybody at this company because you haven't been building that up, you know, over time, building those relationships over time. And most of these jobs are getting, you know, they're given yeah. by people who have relationships. relationships. Like they already yeah. know who they're going to put in that position. you You're putting yeah. a resume out. That's like old school almost nowadays.
1: Yeah, you can't get a job a good job on monster.com anymore. Nope, you know. Nope.
0: <laughs> it does not work. Not no, a not a job they that a, you know, like you said a good job. Not a not a good like job. Good
1: job. <laughs> Especially not a career. Exactly. So know, it's then, good
0: I like that you were um we had talked about like Afrotech. Like let's talk about your experience there and like what brought you to go, you know, out there for the Afrotech event.
1: Yeah, I had a uh, I had a, a mentor um who's a, you know, angel investor, you know, this guy literally has done everything in his life that I am, you know, doing right now. And so oftentimes I think as, um, Zennios or millennials, we get frustrated because we want all the answers. We're in mm-hmm. the Google age. where was like, Hey, just Google, just tell me everything, you know, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> we don't want to wait. We don't want to go to the lessons. Like just yeah. tell me what I need to know now so I can go. But that's, it, it doesn't benefit us. Um, at all when we're we're giving them those shortcuts, right? And so I say this, fortunately, uh, he forces me to go through the process, right? Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: one of the things that he told me, he said, you need to get on a plane and you need to go find where people are at and see what they're doing. And so I had a friend of mine um, that also um, worked at a corporation here, um, which is one of our partners with Capital One um, as well. And he was like, hey, man, you want to go to AfroTech this year? And I was like, and I was looking at that ticket. It was like 500 Ooh, just for the man. ticket.
0: I like, <laughs> I, it's funny because I actually missed the fact that it was happening this year. But the, last year I had thought about it. And when I looked on that ticket, I said, oh, I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ready. I need to prepare for this next time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I saw that as an investment. And uh, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was all, you know, worth the investment in terms of what the conference provided. I mean, even just the inspiration of, of, Knowing you're at a place where 4,000 people of color um, that all get it, they're all smart, they're all innovative,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, they're all world changers, uh, which just inspirational. Good. So you never know who you're going to meet. For example, I was like, I think I posted on Facebook. I was like, where else can you play um, Black Car Revolt with black people, with the founders of Black Car Oh,
2: black my gosh.
1: Who are also <laughs> black. <laughs> right, <laughs> so, right, right, right. I'm like, where else can you do that? Right,
2: <laughs>
1: so, uh, just the experience and just being in, in uh, celebrating our culture, um, in our own way was just it was it was great. And you know, I had a question, met some of the you know, yeah,
0: yeah. I got a question, sorry to cut you off <clears throat> because you're as you're talking about this, I was thinking, do and and do you find that because I know you're going around, you're you are promoting this, you know, inclusive environment, you have to kind of talk about race, you know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in our like just in the way that we are right now in society, it feels like a hard conversation sometimes just to even say like black people, you know. It's like, right. Can we not <laughs> right. talk about ourselves or talk about the fact that, hey, you know, I noticed there's not a lot of black people in this particular group. What's up? You know, like it's kind of hard to are you finding it that people are uncomfortable having the conversations?
1: Very. <laughs> okay. Yes, I mean that—that's still a fact, a sad truth that people are still uncomfortable uh, to say black or to uh, be around, even just chant that conversation. Because I, I don't think it's a hundred percent that they don't—they don't, they don't want to have the conversations. It's just they don't—they're not properly equipped, meaning they don't have the language or the mm-hmm. tools or the mm-hmm. emotional competency to have those conversations and so they avoid it right um, they don't talk about race at the dinner table because it might trigger you know um, a past experience right or they might know they might figure like well I don't know how this person is going to take my perspective so I'll just keep it to myself but if you don't have the conversation and you don't communicate then you don't bridge that gap you don't you know you don't combat ignorance right um, when you avoid the conversation. So, yeah, it is tough to have a conversation. But I think that in society right now, there are a lot of people who want to know. And, and I include black people in that. Right. Because mm-hmm. even so, for example, um, Friday, no, Thursday, I participated in a racial equity um, summit that was put on by um, Social Venture Partners, um, the organization I'm a part of and the city of Dallas. They wanted to train uh, their employees, internal employees, on uh, racial equity. So they're kicking off this whole initiative I love um, that. around, yeah, around like through and through our whole city department, everybody from the top to the bottom going through racial equity training. Um, and one thing I notice and that I find consistent is that sometimes white people assume that black people are like the experts of race just because we're, we're black. Like right. even we don't have the proper tools and knowledge and information about expressing Um, our origins and where we come from right because Mm -hmm. a lot of that information was hidden from us Mm -hmm. so we're like almost learning about ourselves at the the same time exactly well like you know you're talking about the origin of the word black and the word um african-american right like we use those words but we how often do we actually do the research in the historical context behind those things that happen because i don't even
0: use african-american i just say black because i don't know (laughs)
1: Right, but so, if you it, actually learn uh, learn about the word <laughs> and its origin, and its origins, it was actually created as a tool to um, um, to control and to uh, devalue a certain population. You know, mm. because at that point, it didn't it didn't matter um, class. It was like, okay, you're black, so it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, you know, um, to quote Jay Z, "Still nigga in the coup right? Exactly. So it was like, it doesn't exactly. Matter how much money you make. What banks you own, et cetera. You're still black, so you're in this category.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: And so that word was constructed um, um, by white people to basically say, okay, this population is getting too big, right? Because at that time, slaves outnumbered um, slave masters and slave owners, you know, through breeding camps and Mm -hmm. things that were going on back in the times of slavery. And they had to figure out a way to control this population, right? And they did that through institutional racism.
0: Institutional, yeah.
1: Um, It's you know establishing these policies and these rules and you know the brown paper bag test. Mm-hmm. And, you know these little things. Jim you know, Crow, and that yeah, guy. we know the yeah we know the history <laughs> and we know the new Jim Crow, etc. And so um, it is. I will say it, it's it's hard for us to have the conversation, but um, I also want us as Black people to educate ourselves so that we can have intellectual um, and historically backed conversations mm-hmm. when we're trying to address. Because what I hate to see is that when we combat ignorance with hate.
0: right? You know what I mean?
1: For example, Sam Whiteout. So I'm a Kappa. I'm a new Kappa Alpha today si to the day I die, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a situation where this guy, Sam Whiteout, he's a, he's a Kappa that's, um, he's white. And he was asked to contribute a piece to, I think like the Harvard Business Review or something. I can't remember what school it was from. Um, on wokeness or something like that. And so he gave his perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, he centered himself in whiteness in the conversation, Instead of uplifting, um, you know, uh, other black writers and, and other people who are in this space doing this work, mm-hmm. he got a lot of backlash um, from black Twitter and, you know, other groups about his article that he put out. Um, you now, I appreciate us reaching out to him to educate him. But what I what I don't like to see is when people combat ignorance because his intentions were were well. Right. Mm-hmm. But he just didn't have the tools. Right. And the language to express what he was really trying to say. Um, now, I'm not taking up for the things that he said or that he might have, um, you know, spoke on that he had no privilege to right. to, to, to speak on um, because I feel like white people's, um, their their place in racism is to advocate to other white people exactly. of why they should give up their, their privilege and why they should internalize and interrogate their own privilege. Not because you got to, to
0: you have so they many they different are. views on... <clears throat> if you're how woke you are right Right. (laughs) so you have your militant black you know that are like we need to just be out here protesting every single thing which (laughs) hey i have my moments when i'm like you know you get right you you know (laughs) but you also have to we need to be smart and recognize that even like with the civil rights movement and stuff like that where you had your advocates that there are there are a lot of people who want to help, but don't know how. And if you make them uncomfortable to even have the conversation, like they can't even help without, you know, now it's like this, we're not Not getting, yeah. And we need that because first of all, they outnumber us. And if you have someone that is willing to, for instance, and I don't think they would mind me saying it, but like with the um, DFW Alliance of Technology and Women, how I got involved with them because I was really enjoying the resources and the access that was there, but there were not a lot of women of color that I was seeing, and I voiced my opinion about that. Um, And they were the the president and everybody were like, "Yes, we we recognize that we trying to figure out how to reach you guys. Like we, just we don't know how. We don't right? know how." And I was like, "I appreciate your honesty, and I'm so glad that they have given me an opportunity to kind of come in and help with you know even." Being that voice, you know, to kind of bring in more um, diversity and things like that, because it's something they really wanted, you know, and um, and it's just been it's been great. Like since doing that, it's like, wow, like the collaboration and realizing that, hey, we all really want the same things. Um, the people who are not like straight up bigots and racists, you know, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, obviously, right. There are,
1: there will always be those people.
0: Exactly. You're going to have that, 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 right. But there (laughs) are so many people that really want that. And just like you said, don't have the language, don't know how to even reach out because they're afraid that, yeah, those, the crazy side is going to come out and like, you know, bash them for saying the wrong words and, you know, stuff like that.
1: Got upset and be like, "What? I can't believe y'all don't know how to like Like, exactly. All you got
0: to do is just do it exactly. So yeah, it does take like an awareness. I think on on our part to first of all educate ourselves, like you said, and then be willing to have the conversation with someone who is who doesn't know and give a little bit of you know give some 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 space for them to learn it, like. You know, because it's not going to be perfect, um, especially if that's not something you you can tell a difference from someone who's around black people all the time, yeah. or they are, you know, like they, they have a different, they understand because they're around it, they're learning, they're they're experiencing it. If you're not experiencing it, you have no idea what's okay to say and what's not. So you feel like you're on eggshells all the time and it's not comfortable. Nobody wants to be on eggshells. Nobody every day. wants to be around. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm not gonna do it. If, if I feel like I'm on eggshells, I'm like, well, you know what, I'm just gonna exit from this conversation because I don't even want to, you know, mess up or say the wrong thing because, you know, cause a big thing. So yeah, that I think that's um, so definitely I something think- that we got to do.
1: I think, you know, San Francisco and Dallas are completely different, like.
0: Definitely. Regionally, culturally
1: territories, right? So they are definitely, you know, woke out there, a little bit more liberal than Texas.
0: And because of the diversity, too. Like, I grew up in a school in the hood with white, black, Mexican, Asian, everything. Like, everything was still in the school. And it was not. It was, like, kind of, um, I would say the outskirts of the hood because we were, like, right around the corner <laughs> from the, you right. know, but, um, but it was like, nobody really made a deal out of race. And so it wasn't like you really knew, like I grew up obviously in an area where it was like black and, and Hispanic. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't recognize that that was, you know, what it was at the time, obviously. But um, even just in, in our schools, my mom used to have to, um, basically, lie on our address and say I live somewhere else, so I can go to other schools that were like in better neighborhoods. Yeah. You would say, yeah. Um, but my experience in that was I was around more people who didn't look just like me, and both of us benefited from that. So, wow, you know, I think yeah. that's something that um, we 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 have to do in order for this to even be something that you know. Um, Like Impact and and all the stuff that you guys are doing, you know, just joining forces and bridging those gaps. Hey, everybody. I did want to jump in because this week, December 6th, Impact House will be presenting Hack the Culture Networking Series, where innovation meets the culture. This week's topic is going to be imposter syndrome. It will be held at Good Work, 1808 South Good Latimer Expressway, Dallas, Texas. So if you are in the area, please come out and listen to this conversation that that will be, that will be taking place on the topic of imposter syndrome. Hack the Culture Networking Series stems from a series of interviews with Black and Latinx entrepreneurs and professionals within the Dallas Fort Worth area on the top challenges faced when trying to start and grow their business or climb the corporate ladder in spaces that historically have inclu- excluded minority talent such as technology. Through the research, they've identified four areas of focus that will be highlighted through the series of interactive networking events. They've already had the challenge of being the only one. That's November 15th. They had that last month. This week, as stated, imposter syndrome. Next month will be time management. That is January the 10th. And the final one in the series will be self-care, and that is February 7th. I wanted to include that here because Part two of the episode of this particular episode, he does go through each one. But I know that if you haven't had a chance to listen to part two yet, you may not have that information. And I don't want you to miss out on the event that will be taking place December 6th this Thursday. There'll be some networking. There'll be some complimentary bites and drinks and interactive activities. So please go along, bring a friend and support this initiative. It's going to be a great time. Thank you for listening to the Scratching and Surviving podcast. To connect with me and hear more, please visit scratchingandsurviving.com. Make sure to join the Scratching and Surviving community. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on your player of choice. Talk to you next week.